Hello and welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Austen sisters and for the month of May doesn't talk about any of them but focuses on Louisa May Alcott instead. I am your host Hannah Chapman, very much Team Austen. Do you want to hear something crazy? What? I think that you said Jane Austen against all three Austen sisters. Mm, did I? <laughs> Review the tapes. You know what? Gordon Ramsay would not like you saying that. He gets really angry when people say, look at the cameras. Really? Yeah. I know nothing of this Gordon Ramsay person. I watch a lot except of Except that his, uh, his recipe for like baked salmon is pretty good though. We like that one. All right. Should we try it again? That time's a charm. Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that pits Jane Austen against all three Bronte sisters and for the month of May against Louisa May Alcott. Well, Louisa May Alcott is against all of those people. Uh, I'm your host, Hannah Chapman, (laughs) Team Austen. What an unfair fight. Who are you? (laughs) Oh, I'm Lauren Burke. I am Team Bronte. And we're both Team Alcott. We are. We are. For like... The moment. Like one God. half hour. May went by so quickly, you guys. Oh no. <laughs> There's been so much to do. We had the eight cousins read along. We've been watching um Little Women. We had two special guests. Um again, big thanks to Jan Turnquist from Orchard House and um our guest Anne Boyd Rue, who will be back. Um, later on this summer when she drops not one, but two Louisa May Alcott related books. So yeah, it's been a really busy month. And um, now we can get back to, you know, Jane Austen and the Bronte sisters, of course, after this episode is done. Yeah, Yeah. we gotta gotta finish this. We gotta finish this. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about Little Women 1994 versus Little Women 2018. But... Before we do that, um, I just wanted to check in with you, Hannah, and see, like, how you felt about Louisa May Alcott now that you've learned a little bit more about her, and just see, you know, what your biggest takeaway from this month was, basically. Oh, boy. Um, now? Sure. <laughs> I can give you mine, too, if you if you need to think about it. No, I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. I've been Go for this. it. Um, I get. I think for me, uh, one of the the weirdest things was rereading Eight Cousins. Like I fought super hard for us to pick that book for our read along, and like mm-hmm. I thought about it a lot, and I was like, maybe we should just skip straight to Rose and Bloom. I worried that Old Fashioned Girl was perhaps not as interesting or engaging. Um, and I think I'm kicking myself a little bit. I think we maybe should have done Old Fashioned Girl. It's a standalone. you know there isn't a sequel so I think some of the stuff that's unresolved in Eight Cousins and feels unfinished you wouldn't have with a a standalone book like it is very much wrapped up at the end Um, Mm and so I think that would have been nice I think the main thing was just obviously times have changed quite a bit since the 90s when I read this book for the first time as a kid in the early noughties when I was rereading it and times have changed massively since like the late 19th century when it was written and yeah what it just really struck me like 
how my views really differ to the book and how I was challenged by a lot of the stuff in there in a way that frankly I'm just not when I read Jane Austen I don't think that yeah. Austen isn't writing about things I think it's just under the surface and like it's one of the reasons Austen's so accessible and it's one of the reasons that she's perhaps not as challenging so that that was really interesting um Ooh, and like that's quite a good takeaway times you know yeah like I'm, all, I'm yeah. so glad that Jane Austen doesn't write about servants now because my god mm-hmm. like, imagine what she'd have said that's a great takeaway actually um I'm glad we did eight cousins because I it just forced me to think a lot about Louisa herself. Mm-hmm. So like one of the big things that I like took away from just like learning about Louisa this month was um, not only like her frustration and her anger, which I kind of really dig because I'm also a frustrated, angry woman, but um, was her work ethic. And I'm guessing this really stemmed from, you know, her father being so not really like absent, but, you know, just unreliable financially. And, um, you know, we kind of talked about this a little bit last week when um, Aunt Jessie came in during that book scene, that book burning scene and said, you know, that comment about smart writers getting paid and honest writers being happy. Yeah. And I was like, oh, what's Louisa doing? Like she's getting paid. And I kind of like that was hammered into my head like over and over again. There's, a really great scene in the Little Women miniseries between Joe and her dad, and her dad is like, yes. "You need to, you need to write from the heart, and you need to do this." And Joe's like, "That's not an option for me." Exactly, yeah. <laughs> and I that scene, I'm sure it's in the book. It's just been forever since I read the book, but that kind of like blew me away, and I think that really like reinforced like those thoughts. Like she was like, "Hey, I am trying to do a job. I'm trying to be a working woman." <laughs> Yeah. Like I'm not romanticizing writing. I don't have 20 years to sit around and just work on the great American novel. Like I got to get paid right now. But oh my, I, the thing that um, I, I wrote a note about that just being like, I think that's a very like a male attitude. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't like, obviously I don't want to get into it too much, but basically I think uh, the, there's a comment there about, um, men having the luxury of spending 20 years working on something yeah and women not having that because if you're like she's writing and it's profitable and she's doing it right and that's what kind of why it's tolerated but if she was writing Mm -hmm. and it wasn't going anywhere then would she even still be allowed to write like would a woman have the same luxury of just spending 20 years writing something that's never been published so yeah that was my big takeaway um from louisa may alcott month i we're gonna dip back into lma later on because there's so much more to talk about we didn't really get to talk about her traveling we didn't talk about her as a civil war nurse no but do you know what i'd be i think i'd really like to look at um just across all of the the writers that we look at uh bronte gaskell um alcott not austin sadly but um just trap travel and writing like a couple of episodes yeah, yeah. and kind of yeah, maybe that get would be great. back for that before we move yeah before we move off um and another thing that i really loved learning about uh alcott was uh the just the running the running mm. um i loved hearing the running was great i'd loved hearing about the five and the 10k uh as someone who has just started training for a marathon a half marathon <laughs> sorry let me 
clarify. So I'm doing a half marathon in September to raise money for a charity that um, helps um, rape victims back into the workplace. Oh, nice. Yep. So I'm doing that through my job. And I think that kind of starting to train for that has coincided with learning about Alcott and the importance of running. And um, I've been going through like some heart problems, you know, some like love some love problems and so I'm just running through my anxiety and I feel strong and I feel healthy and I just I think that Louisa May Alcott is just sat there like yeah go get it gal that's what she's saying yeah you know absolutely so she'd be on like, board with that it felt like super good timing for that too much personal information guys but yeah I, I've, I've really like thank you Louisa I like that about her too I like that she also um would work out whenever she had like writer's block yeah absolutely and uh yeah once i push this baby out that's gonna be i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a <laughs> shot louisa <laughs> that's my new goal so we're gonna go ahead and jump into our interview today yes we've got an interview with one half of drunk austin so exciting. that's robin epley yeah second time robin's been on the show and guess what we don't talk about austin like either time <laughs> That's what you do on this show, though. You know, we pretend. We get you in. We say, guys, there's going to be some Jane Austen. There isn't. We're like the child catcher of the literary world. So, yeah, Robin and I are just going to talk about the 94 version of Little Women versus the 2018 version that just aired on PBS over here. I Okay, so I took notes. And the very first note that I have on this is just weirdly sensual with a question mark. Like yes. it, felt, it felt very sexualized, even from the very beginning. Absolutely. Like, if you're comparing and contrasting the for, like these films back to back, like, yeah, yeah the beginning of the, the 94 version feels like Disney. The second one is the miniseries is like, whoa, that first scene is very sexy. Yes, when they're all like getting dressed, it's like, I honestly, I think that this is partially tried to play up to like bodice ripper type people who like, I, I am a bodice ripper type person. Like sure. I love movies yeah. like that, but Alcott is not, you know, Jane Eyre and it's not, I don't know, it's not like a modern day romance novel, even though it's kind of set during the same time. Right. Um, it's not... Just because there's corsets doesn't mean it has to be sexy. And it bugged me. I was like, these are sisters. They're not, you're making it look like they're trying to undress each other. And I don't even know how to explain it. I think, I think people who haven't seen it are going to think that I'm overestimating what it looked like. It's not. It was weirdly sexual. It, yeah, I, it, it threw off a lot of people. I mean, because Alcott is wholesome. Like she yeah. is. Very base. wholesome at her base. And she's also very anti-corset too. So it was like a weird way to just like off the bat start the thing. Yeah. I and mean, which is weird because they were, they were very true to Alcott's life in other ways that I appreciated. Yes. Like um, Land of the Leal. I really enjoyed them including. Mm -hmm. But um, that just seemed right off the bat. I was like, this is like the beginning of like a playboy letter set in 1865 in fact i think yes. i had oh okay later on i wrote that the snow fight scene looks like it's out of an abercrombie and fitch catalog from 1865 yeah yes. <laughs> everything looks like just very uh packaged and i wasn't a fan of it 
It had a very interesting aesthetic. Um, yeah. I did describe it as, especially with the, the editing style, because there's a lot of quick cuts. Um, oh, yeah. I described it as an Instagram story. I think yes. in my notes. I've I was heard like, a is... lot of people say that, that it looks like Little Women for the Instagram crowd. And I was like, yes. oh, yeah, I see it. it. It totally does. Um, it's not like, I didn't hate it, but I was also just really off put by everything. And I think that really affected the pacing of it. Because yeah. the 94 version, which does cram in a lot of things into two hours, Mm-hmm. feels actually really well paced. Like it doesn't feel too long and it doesn't feel too slow actually. Yeah. And I was really trying hard not to see the 94 version through rose colored glasses because yeah. when it's your first introduction to adaptations of something that you already love, it's hard not to idealize that. And we see it all the time totally. um, on people on our page who, um, just love the 95 Pride and Prejudice, but they they love it so much that they can't even see its flaws. Because I think one of the reasons why I so unabashedly love Alcott is that it's, it's just candy. It's nice. It's the mm-hmm. literature equivalent of watching the royal wedding in that it's, it's a break from all of these awful things going on in your life and you can just look at these like characters and they all have wonderful parents, wonderful, you know, adult figures in their lives who want to help them get through these issues and become better adults. And it truly is great children's literature in that children can read it and improve by reading it and not know that it's like a lesson wrapped in a good story. And I think, I think I just had so much good feelings wrapped around reading Alcott books that it will never not be a treat for me to enjoy it and to watch the movies, you know, matter mm-hmm. what the adaption is. Like, even though I'm going to, we're about to shit on this PBS version, <laughs> I can't, at the end of the day, if I had to pick that over like a horrible dark drama, I'd still watch the PBS version. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because it's, I just, and I wanted to say thank you, by the way, for letting me warm my way into this Alcott month of yours. Oh, of course. Of course. (laughs) I love that you're so passionate about her. I do. I honestly, it is sometimes a toss up for me between Alcott and Austin. I'm not going to lie. Like, B B has her Star Wars. I have my Louise and my Alcott. This is how it rolls. Yeah. (laughs) It's um. it just makes me happy. It really does. And I think that there's, there's not a lot else that can immediately invoke such calmness and happiness than a good Alcott book for me. That's what I love most about doing this podcast is just the way that people, the strong feelings and attachments that they have to these authors. Like it's personal. And so I understand when people get very attached to an adaptation. Yeah. um, Because, you know, like, like me seeing Little Women when I was like the perfect age for the material and, you know, having it star people like Winona Ryder and Christian Bale who were like, you know. Oh, yeah. Cinema gods, you know, when I was a kid. (laughs) In 1994. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, you know, I totally understand the connection that people have to these authors and I love it. And it's what I love about 
doing the show. Um, but I am also always here for another adaptation as well, because I do love like seeing how other people interpret the material and like what it means to them as well. Even if it's completely off base, I'm always just like, oh, that's that's interesting. So that's that's who this character is to you. OK, OK. I feel the same way. Like there is there's a lot of joy in finding out how a character affected somebody else differently than how it affects you. Mm-hmm. I think that's very cool. The, where I draw the line is in saying that your experience or your opinion, and I'm not saying you're doing this, I'm saying other people do, like, is better somehow because you're right. the one that experienced it. You know, so that's why it bugs me a lot when people are like, oh, the 95 Pride and Prejudice is the only Pride and Prejudice I recognize. I'm like, no, no, right. no. I'm like, there were... 12-year-old girls in 2005 when that movie came out, and that was their first introduction to Jane Austen, the same way that the 95 was your first when you were 10 or 12. And that's how they became fans, and that's why they love it. They have the same feelings about Keira Knightley that you do about Jennifer Eel, and you can't disregard that just because you came at it at a different point in your life. And so that's why it, it just really bugs me um a lot and we really police that like that we try not to police a lot of things on john Austen, but we will police that to the ends of the earth like that is just not allowed you can't yeah you can't diss somebody else's experience and i think i think little women is just one of those movies that is very very similar in that regard and now that totally. it has a remake i think we're gonna see a lot more of the same types of discussions and by discussions i'm politely calling those arguments discussions Mm -hmm. um you know because there's going to be 13 year old girls who watch this on pbs with their moms at you know having a tea party at nine o'clock at night and they got to stay up late to watch it and they're going to fall in love with maya hawk and whoever played laurie and that is going to be their little women and you know what i have no problem with that because yeah that will introduce them to the world of Alcott. And I hope that when they get to go to Orchard House, like I did, they're going to see Best Piano and they're going to like walk into the living room and they're going to see, you know, Louisa's little uh, writing nook in her bedroom and they're going to cry the same way yeah. that I did. I'm crying right now thinking about it. <laughs> so, Absolutely. No. It's totally valid. And I, you know, yes, we are going to probably shit on yeah. this series a little bit. <laughs> a but little bit. I do think it it definitely has merit. There are definitely some ways that I think it surpasses like any adaptation. And um, it's absolutely worth watching if you love the material. Because I I think too, like even if it misses the mark for you, then it reinforces like why you love the material. You're like, oh, it didn't have this. And this is what this book means to me. And that just kind of solidifies that thought process for you. Yeah. And those... Those complaints or notice, like, the things that you notice as a fan missing, like, saying, hey, this would have made it more complete for me, that's completely valid. Mm -hmm. You can look at adaptions and say, well, I didn't have this, and this is why I didn't like it. This is why I like the old one. But as long as you're willing to recognize that it's still somebody else's vision, at at the end of the day, it's basically just well-funded fanfic. Now... Was there something about this interpretation that you loved? Because there is one thing that I love, too, that I'm like, okay, 
start off on a positive note. Uh, I think you mean other than Angela Lansbury? <laughs> other I, than Angela Lansbury, yeah, who was I great loved, and we didn't have enough of her. I loved her a lot. Yeah, we needed more. Um, I... It was very pretty. Yes. And I think that at the end of the day, the girl who played Joe was excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that she played it very... Very true to form, which is not to say that she played it like Renona Ryder, because I'm not sure right. that Renona Ryder did it exactly like how I would have imagined Joe. Yeah, I don't think she did either. Actually, rewatching that um, yeah. yesterday, I was like, oh, I don't I like feel like you're the Joe of the book. I like your Joe, but I don't feel like you're the Joe of the book. That's exactly what it was. I liked Renona Ryder's Joe, but she wasn't necessarily the Joe of the book. And I really liked Maya Hawks. Yes. Um, I'm, that's, that is her name, right? Maya it Hawk. is. And I just, in every shot, I'm like, you look like your mother. Now you look like your father. Now you look like your mother. <laughs> yeah, they did a really good job casting, I thought. Yeah, I thought did. Amy could have been a little bit younger. And one of the things oh, that yeah. I think, I in the, old, in the movie, they grew up Amy. But that was it, right? They didn't grow yeah. up the other three? Okay. Just Amy, or, yeah. Well, Beth dies, but yeah. Spoil alert, Beth dies. Right, Beth dies, guys. Uh, <laughs> uh, I liked that Amy became a different actress when she got older. I think that it was really hard uh, on this actress, on all of them, actually, because of the epilogue where they're supposed to be like 10 years down the road. And I'm like, totally. oh, you, you also look like you're 16 to me. And, and then there's one part where she's like, oh, I have gray hair now. And I'm like, mm, you have powder in your hair. Sweetie. Yeah, yeah, it was that was difficult. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, you still have freckles. Yeah. Um, ugh, so many freckles. Uh, no, I think there was a lot of things I liked about it. I think that um, it was the pacing of three episodes was really nice because you got to mm-hmm. dive deeper into certain portions, mm-hmm. um, which is always good. You know, mini mini episodes versus a movie. Um I'm trying, I, it sounds like I'm being harsh on it. There wasn't, I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love it, you know? That's fair. I think that's yeah. fair. I um, I really loved Marmy in this. Oh, yeah. I thought Emily Watson was great. It could also be, too, experiencing what Little Women, like, just at a yeah. different place in my life as well. Because I think the thing I really picked up on was, well, first of all, Emily Watson was, like, the strongest member of the core cast. Yeah. So I felt like she did a lot of the like emotional work. Yeah. And um like she like just watching it from like a mother's perspective was actually really like what made me just keep crying basically. I did cry when uh Marmy finally figured out that Beth was going to die. That I thought that was the, a hard scene. the girl who played Beth was very good. She was great. Uh, yeah, and I I really liked that they were able to dig deeper into Beth's death than mm-hmm. they're really able to on in the movie, obviously. Um, yeah. And I think I that's going to be a running theme for me is that they just were able to get a little bit deeper into scenes. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, cause I loved like her going to the sea mm-hmm. and actually having time with Joe and, um, yeah. I, that death scene was actually very interesting. It's on my list of things to compare and contrast because 
And the 94 version, I mean, that is like one of the go-to cry scenes, like of all time. Oh, yeah, I think somebody commented that on Twitter yesterday. Yes. She was like, I just roll that up whenever I need a, a good cry. I just watched that scene and then I sob and I'm like, yeah, that's a really good idea because sometimes you just need like that, that thing to push you over the edge to have a good yes. cry. And that scene will do it every time. <laughs> oh my God, it really will. And um, Claire Danes is like fantastic. Yeah, I do love Claire Danes a lot. Like, Claire Danes is, like, my Renona writer, to be honest, mm-hmm. because she was really the young actress that I grew up with. You know, mm-hmm. she was the hot young thing when I was a kid. And I think that it's really interesting to watch the two of them together in this movie because it's almost... I don't want to say it's like a passing of the torch, but... It, it totally is. is a passing of the torch, I think. Yeah. It really, it really does feel that way. Because ultimately, in like 95 or 96, I think, was when Renona Ryder's career started to kind of downslide a little bit. She mm-hmm. obviously wasn't like, you know, the it girl anymore, which happens to a lot of people. And I'm not saying that, you know, she's not obviously on the rise again now with a great new career. And I'm very happy for her. Um, I'm saying this like she's listening. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> she definitely so am, is. Come on, Robin. <laughs> no, no. I'm very happy that Renona Ryder is now having like a renaissance in her career. But in the mid-90s, it had started to backslide a little bit. Totally. And I think it's really interesting to watch Claire Dates in this movie because Claire Dates would go on to do, you know, the Romeo and Juliet movie. Yeah. And she'd go on to do a bunch of different things that I really grew up with. And it's kind of... It's kind of nice to watch her. And it also, you do get Kristen Dunst in this movie as a very young girl who was hot off the success of Interview with a Vampire, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, she has never really been my favorite actress, even though she's slightly older than me, um, because she just always felt very young and yeah. very, like, almost too young. Her roles were always, like, the baby roles. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I'm not a baby. I'm a, I'm a girl. And I wanted, I wanted like the meteor roles that Claire Danes always had. So I think totally. it's just a very interesting cast. And I, it always makes me laugh too. And I remember that Susan Sarandon plays Marmy in this because Susan Sarandon to me always will be Janet in Rocky Horror. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's just, it's, she's a great actress and I'm totally able yeah. to divorce the two. Like it's, it's clearly not Janet in Little <laughs> Women and it's very clearly not Marmy in Rocky Horror. But um, it just makes me laugh whenever I see her name pop up on the screen. I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. She's oh, yeah. Janet did this. <laughs> she's a very stoic Marmy. She's sort of like an all-knowing, like very comforting Marmy. So I feel like she's a good Marmy yeah. for kids when you yes. want your mother to be that person that's like, that has all the answers that can just like take care of you. And maybe therein lies the difference between these two adaptions. Totally. Because the Marmy of the new adaption is very human. Yes. And I liked it a lot that Marmy was human and not all knowing and vulnerable. And even though one of the things I was going to mention was that, um, some of the acting felt stilted to me at times, yeah. including Emily Watson. And I think that might have just been poor writing on occasion. Um, but I really, really liked the scene where Marmy finally figures out that Beth is going to die. And that they yeah. need to accept this as a family. And she basically kind of like runs out of the room to go and collect herself, which seems dramatic in the retelling. But actually, I thought it was really well done. Um mm-hmm. And Joe kind of comes and finds her and they sit and they talk about it. And Joe is like, you know, 
I just found out too, Beth has known for a really long time. She has come to terms with this and we need to, as a family, ease her passing. Yeah. And Marmy is just terrified because in the yeah. last 30 seconds, she's realized that Beth is going to go down this path that she can't help her go down. I, I mean, that really made that series feel very real to me, though. Like, I was yeah. like, oh, I just appreciate this this material in a different way. Because, yeah, I, I really used to just think of Marmy as like, oh, she had all the answers and, mm-hmm. like, everything was fine. And then now I'm seeing this, like, you know, older woman who's trying to keep a household together, still trying to, like, help everyone in her community as best she can, you know, trying to raise these girls on basically almost on her own. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this really hit me as an older woman now. Yeah. And I think that that's, that's something that is really interesting about Alcott's books in that, and I, I think you can say this the same about Jane Austen's books, in that they, Jane Austen's books were written at different times in her life. And so I think the heroines go from being very immature, like Catherine Moreland in Northanger Abbey, to being mm-hmm. extremely mature, like Anne Elliot in Persuasion. Um, and so at various times in your life, you can identify with a, a character better. And so that kind of becomes your favorite book. I see that all the time. Mm-hmm. I think in Little Women, you actually get all of that wrapped into one. Yeah, Because yeah, absolutely. Because when, when you're a little girl... You identify with either Beth or Amy, depending on how bratty and awful you are. Um, <laughs> no, I'm serious. And seriously, though, I think sometimes when you're a little girl, you very much identify with Amy. And then you kind of grow up and you identify with Beth, especially if you're an introverted type of person. Then I think a lot of people, if you don't identify with Beth, you probably identify with Joe because Joe is the complete opposite. She's very extroverted. She's very mm-hmm. goal-oriented. Um, and then I think, you know... Meg tends to be left out a lot of times, too, because she is she's somewhere in the middle of Beth and Joe. And she's very yeah. like she's very eldest sistery. Like I see yes. a lot of um, I see a lot of my mom in her, actually, because my mom's mm-hmm. the eldest of five. So she you're kind of like a de facto parent sometimes. Right. And then I think as you get older, like you and I are and especially you now, you know, going to be a new mom. I think that you really identify with Marmy and it's like it's almost like all of these different stages of somebody's life rolled into one book and I think that's where the beauty of this book is is that you get to see a Marmy character interacting with an Amy character and a Beth character acting with a extroverted Joe character and a Joe character dealing with a younger version of herself in Amy and Meg trying to be the eldest sister and still making mistakes. And so no matter where you are in your life, you have a character that can mirror what you're going through yourself. And totally. who knows, maybe when I'm 65, I will be like, you know, Aunt, shit, what's the aunt's name? I forgot. Oh, uh, Aunt March. Aunt March. I'm like, Aunt March is right on the nose. That is she, me. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of loved Aunt March, though. I do. I've always loved Aunt March a little bit. Um, but, you know, she makes mistakes, too, when she Absolutely, gets mad at yeah. Nate for wanting to marry, um, marry, what's his face? Mr. It's not Wilkes. Mr. 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 Tudor. Mr. Tudor. I keep forgetting his name, too. Yeah, I always forget his name. Um. Anyway, somebody's screaming it into their podcast right now. Oh, I'm sure. Um, I always feel bad when I do that. But uh, 
you know, she makes mistakes, and I think that that's that's something else that's very um, very lovable about these characters is that they yeah. make mistakes. I heard a theory the other day that one of the reasons why Americans so idealize the Austin era and the Victorian era in England is that it's very hard for us to reconcile that same time period in America because mm-hmm. we were dealing with like all of that luxury that we had in America came from slavery. You know, right. we it was either we had slavery, we were in the Civil War battling slavery, or we were suffering the after effects of it in that right. you know, the reconstruction period and the carpetbaggers and the Jim Crow era. It um it's a very shameful period for Americans in America. But mm-hmm. we look to England and there's the same fashions and some of the same excesses, um, you know, a lot of the same things were going on without the shameful history of slavery. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we can look to that and kind of try to idealize it. And I think that what Little Women specifically does is it idealizes an American time period for us Uh that we can't otherwise idealize because not only are yes. the marches anti-slavery, the marches lived in the North, the marches weren't rich from the excesses of somebody else's labor. Right. You know, they had to do it themselves. They're very idealistic themselves. Um, and so I think it's something that we as Americans can point to and say, hey, look, like this is this is happening over here. This is something we can be proud of. This is something we can idealize. This is something we can love about ourselves um, without having to face the horrific consequences of, you know, enslaving an entire race. Um, I think that's totally one of the reasons for Louisa May Alcott's pop, like continued popularity. Yeah, absolutely. Because yeah. she held those values herself, too. So yeah. we can still point to like, oh, there, there's a progressive woman who, yeah. you know, and here's a progressive piece of writing that we can, that endures and that we can hand down to our children. Now, before we start, this is your content warning. I do have a potty mouth and there are some swears that are unbeeped. I'm sorry. Don't let your kids listen unless you want them to grow up sounding like me or Daniel Craig. Yeah. And we are back. We're back. You ready? You ready to get into the sweary part of the episode? Oh, I'm ready. All right. Okay. I feel like so, I promised swears, but maybe I'm not going to swear. I don't know. I don't know. You promised us too much, Hannah. We were all looking forward <laughs> to those swears. Okay. So, um... We all did a little live watch of Little Women, um, and we have some great listener feedback. Hannah wrote some amazing notes, too, which she put in an Instagram story. (laughs) There are just so many pages. (laughs) I think, like, no one saw them except for my husband, and he was like, what are are these Little Women notes? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Which he watched with me for approximately, he watched the second episode. And he's never read Little Women or seen it before. And uh, his takeaway was, Joe is Joe is an angry gal. Yeah, Joe's well angry. I really liked her, yeah. though. I did, too. Although, so, okay, this is not the first note, but it's the one I'm going to share. I, at some point, I just gave up. Everyone kept going on like, Joe, your hair is your one beauty. And I was like, no, it isn't. 
Um, I wrote to myself, <laughs> Joe doesn't even have a good short haircut. Her one beauty has been shit this whole episode. I was not wow. feeling it. Tie the hair up. What was that? It was everywhere. Joe's hair was not good hair. Meg had lovely hair. Amy had lovely hair. The only good thing about Joe's hair is that it was long. Yeah, it was just long. Just well done. She didn't brush it. And the guy was like, it's not even a good color. <laughs> That's true. I don't he didn't get really it. care for it at all. Yeah, he still gave her the money, but didn't really care for it. Pickled limes. I'm there for that shit. Joe's hair. No. no oh, wow. Okay. All right. What else you got on that list? Um. Ooh. Um. Where's the bit about... Oh, I did say that Amy is a tart. Yeah. She seemed very knowing, you know, like there was this very knowing quality mm. and like just about everything. And I think because she's older in it, everything is yeah. way more harsh. So uh, when she burns Joe's book, it feels way more deliberate and less like a knee jerk young child reaction to something. I feel like young Amy oh, absolutely. doesn't quite understand what she's done and it's like really remorseful. But when old Amy does it, it's kind of, it's way colder. Like it's icy. Oh, she does it like one by one too. Yeah. Like it does feel very deliberate. Like the direction on that scene was not quite right. Um, In the 94 version, like you don't actually even see it done. Do it's just kind of like, happens. there's a, it's it's more like implied. And like you, you see Joe come home and she puts it all together. But um, yeah, it's just that it's so deliberate. And then, yeah, she's too old. She's just too old. It doesn't work. And then they have that fight and that fight is amazing. I mean, the slap, I think that's the slap is like maybe our number one comment. Well, my note says, and you might beep this out. I did say, I think Joe should have cunt punted Amy. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Wow. But the slap was, it just, it felt, you felt the impact and it wasn't like a slap. It was like a punch. I feel like she got in there. She really did. I'm not one to promote violence, but it did feel really satisfying. Yeah. Like, I was like, whoa, yes, she deserved it. She did deserve um. it. <laughs> what else? What else you got on that list? Um. Oh, so th- these aren't that sweary. Um, mm. Just, I was like, that British bitch was cold. <laughs> Who was she? Where did she come from? I found that the, the whole British people thing really confusing. Because you've got, like, Beth, she just goes and sits with that hot guy. He doesn't come back. I was like, one, I don't remember you. Two, I know she's going to die. So what's the point? Yeah, yeah. Don't tease me with this romance. I felt like they were, I don't know. I liked it. Yeah. But I was it like, kinda like, what? <laughs> it wasn't the right opportunity to get to know Beth. No. And also, did I get to know Beth at any point? Really? No. No. I don't no. think so. Um. I've got a lot of notes that are just what the what the heck is Beth's deal? Is Beth simple? What is why is Beth being weird? What's happening? Oh, um, I don't get where Beth is going. Have I missed something? Yeah. And then she goes. Yeah. And then I've got like lol Dumbledore. Um. And then later on, I'm like, uh, Beth has literally played the piano for one second and Dumbledore's all hot under the colour for it. Like, right. didn't really... Yeah, I didn't... I think someone someone said in the... And we'll get to the kind of listener comments in a second, but I know that that came up as well. I feel like the 
the importance of the piano and like Beth going and it being like this kind thing that is being done for her. I don't know that it translated. No, it didn't. Not at all. I I said this earlier um, in the interview, but I'll say it again. Like, what's weird about this adaptation is I feel like you had all these heavy hitters for the older actors. Mm-hmm. And um, they're doing a lot of the work almost. I felt like I knew their characters, even though there wasn't enough Dumbledore and there wasn't enough Angela Lansbury, really. Angela Lansbury versus the chicken. Hello. (laughs) I felt so strongly about that 10 second scene. 10 seconds. Exactly. I do. do Well, every every scene is 10 seconds. It's like. A, yeah. an Instagram story like it, it just is. moves too quickly um it's very like I, I liked some of the handheld cameras and I liked a lot of the um like the nature and like how like the cinematography like I, I did I thought this feel like it really idealized America even though it was shot in Ireland it was trendy it was certainly like a very trendy adaptation I thought like the music was very middle of the road hipster I thought that the shots were very middle of the road hipster like beautiful but it's like, yeah, it's on trend, you know, like I've seen it before. Totally. Like the wafting lace curtains. Um, I did like the shot of, I kept making notes every time the lace curtains were in shot. I was like, lace curtain, lace curtain. Um, there's a bit <laughs> where there's like a lace ribbon tied on the door for Meg's wedding. And then there's a black ribbon tied on the door for Beth's funeral. So yes. I thought that was like really beautiful. But the the thing, and actually those, those two characters, um, Beth and Meg, because they're good, they are not developed in the same way that Amy and Joe are. So yeah, it's almost like being good is enough. And actually, I don't think it is. I don't think that those two characters were interesting. I didn't care. I didn't care what I think you're to totally them. right. I think you're totally right. That was my big problem. Like, I felt like those characters were massively underdeveloped, whereas they really have a nice voice in the 94 version. They at least all have their scenes mm-hmm. where they stand out. And, like, I feel like it was almost an injustice done to those actresses where, like, they didn't really get their time. Yeah, and it isn't it isn't a comment on the actresses at all. Like, I thought the cast, no. apart from Laurie, uh, did, like, a really, like, sterling job. And I thought, like, the sisters were great and the chemistry was great. I just think it's, I think it's lazy writing. It's this idea, like, uh, Jane Bennett, it happens to her a lot. Like, she mm-hmm. is good. And that is flat. It just falls flat, unfortunately. Like, yeah. I, I don't know those people. So. There there was too much. I mean, they fit a lot into those three hours, but yeah. they still cut a lot. And I just, it felt like you never settled into a pace of it. You never got comfortable. Um, It just felt like almost sporadic at times. Yeah, I because I almost feel like if you're, it's an adaptation, right? So you you kind of have license to to do it. I I think if I was doing it, I would almost just make it more Joe's story. Like I would have yeah. loved more time in New York with Joe. And yeah, I mean, any time with the bear. Hello. <laughs> well, that's what's hard about that relationship too. Is that like you spend so much time with Laurie. Yeah. And then yeah. Bear comes in at the end and you're like, oh, now we're with Bear and they're getting married. Okay. Like it just always feels like mm-hmm. so rushed. And that's what, one of the reasons I don't think people like buy his character. And even the dad. You, you grow up with Laurie. Yeah. yeah. You grow up. With oh, yeah. 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 You're tr- like, that's so right. 
Um, I did like I paused it actually. Um, there are a couple of times. So obviously, when um, when Joe is still uh, with her family before she goes to New York and she doesn't know what to do, I really uh, related to that that feeling of like, what can I do? Like, and being stuck and the fact that yeah, the father character is like. So I'll just I'll read I'll read his line. Um, mm-hmm. right, Joe. Right, sift down through your heart. Through all the pain and grief, there are words there and there's a woman there and it's you. I just, it made me cry. Like. <laughs> oh, did it? Yeah. So obviously like I didn't, I don't, I don't usually like, I mean, I cry everything, but I, I was convinced I wouldn't care about the Beth thing. And I, I thought that mm-hmm. um, her death was handled really well. I also forgot that she almost dies and then doesn't and then is weak and then dies later on. Yes, so I, I did too. I'd forgotten that. And so basically from the point of Beth dying, I was just crying at everything. I cried when I saw the bear for the first time. I cried when he was like, um, that just makes me learned. It doesn't make me wise. <laughs> when he's there <laughs> in the rain. Oh my gosh. Um just like we were children before and we aren't any longer like yeah all, that was like, the greatest. All these lines and then my last note is just uh fuck I am crying I am crying this is too much fucking hell this is too much I am crying <laughs> and that is that is the last I... thing I wrote before I went to bed because I watched it until like half past one in the morning <laughs> <laughs> I had like a real emotional breakdown before Beth dies when Marmy has a breakdown yeah about like keeping your daughter safe yeah and I was just like, oh, my God, like that, that actually just really was too much for me to handle. Yeah. Especially right now. But um, yeah, I did cry a lot. Like, it's, it's funny. I didn't hate this adaptation. I think there's some like a lot of really good things about it. I, I, I really like I like I'm saying all of this. I really enjoyed it. I was in it. Um, I, mm-hmm. I really I thought visually it was lovely. Like, I keep joking about it being hipster, like it appealed to me like I think I'm the target audience for it so that's like a big tick it's like a very self-aware hipster comment you know Mm -hmm. um I just I just wish I wish an adaptation could just feel like even though it's skipping stuff out it I just want it to feel meatier it just felt a little thin at times yeah it did I think maybe she's she's just tackling too many things I think you're right it would be better to just really focus on joe more and getting her story down and not try to squeeze like too many things in honestly meg's husband what he says this line it's so funny i was just like yeah whatever um he says i'm trying to find it just like everything about about meg and her husband was just too um too sweet well i can't find they were basically too darling they were so cute he says something like oh finally i'm a father like what more can i want and i was just like said no man ever (laughs) (laughs) it just didn't like from the minute he's just like he's so into her and he's got the glove and like i love joe's reaction to that i thought that was so realistic and joe's just like weird gross yeah that's not okay like mm, he stole it I, i was just like yeah it is like it is romantic. It is cute, but I do think that if you're the if you're the younger sister and you're like I don't know about this, like I don't have time for love. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it fits within Joe's character. I I know Louisa was really like the public really wanted her obviously to marry Joe to Lori. She was staunchly no against it. Yeah, 
She's given me like Charlotte Bronte, Valette feelings, you know, mm-hmm. everyone's like this ending. I don't know. And Charlotte's like, it stays. Yeah, except you love the bear, right? In a way that you do not with any of Charlotte Bronte's love interests because. Oh, totally. Um, And weirdly, I think like Charlotte would have appreciated Pro- Professor Bear. Like yeah. I actually like think she would have been into it. Um. I actually, for me, the better ending it would be if Louisa like stayed and made Joe an old spinster. Old maid. Like I buy it if Joe doesn't get married. Do you know what I mean? I do feel like Bear is a little bit of a compromise. Um, I will say this though. Um, Maya Hawk said something very interesting. Who's Maya in an Hawk? You know, I don't know so anyone's name. She's the actress that played Joe. Okay. Yeah. Well and done, Maya. And her parents are Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawke, if you didn't know that. Do you know who those people are? Uma Thurman? She looks yeah. just like her. Yeah, she does. Oh. Who's Ethan Hawke? Moon. Oh, okay. Is he in Moon? He's not in Moon. Who's Ethan Hawke? <laughs> Have you ever seen Reality Bites or are you like way too young for that? Fine, what that is. Oh, God. I'll Google it. <laughs> oh, God. Um... Which actually is opposite Winona Ryder, old Joe. Okay. Anyway, there you go, guys. So, <laughs> sorry. Maya Hawk said something interesting. Okay, yeah. And uh, she said that, you know, Joe really wanted to go to college. She really wanted to learn and she didn't have that opportunity. Mm-hmm. And so she ended up marrying a professor instead. And that's how she was kind of playing it. Like she just fell in love with him for his knowledge and what he could teach her and how he could help her with the school later on. Yeah. Which I was like, all right. Which kind okay. of that shades of middle March and Dorothea kind of falling for Mr. Casabon, not because she's physically attracted to him, but she's attracted to his intellect and kind of the opportunities that she will have to broaden her mind and her understanding of the world through him. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that is an ill-fated love. So it is. But, um, it doesn't quite satisfy me. But you know, I, mean, I was like, all right. What satisfies me with the bear that doesn't with Laurie is like from the beginning, it's she says she's she's like, I I have never loved him, you know, like that's mm-hmm. it's never been on the cards for me. And it's the story of not compromising and not settling for the person that's there in a way that is yes, way more in depth than Elizabeth not loving Mr. Collins. Like imagine if Elizabeth and Mr. Collins had grown up and he'd always been the heir and the family always knew that he was going to marry one of them. And perhaps for a while they thought maybe he'd be with Jane and he he didn't. And and then they thought, oh, well, maybe he'll be with, with Lizzie. And she's like, I just don't love him. And I will only marry for love. And I can't right. marry for any less. And it's like, it's not that she doesn't love him. She does, but it's like in that way, you know? And then she goes right. and then she does meet someone that she loves. And then I do like that you get kind of get like Laurie's anger and um, mm-hmm. and almost like a sense of expectation and him being like, I would do anything for you. Like I've I've been waiting. I've been here. And she's she's just like, well, it's never going to happen. And so in terms of it just being like, I won't compromise. I think that story is stronger with her finding someone. Oh, nice. Because right. it, I like it, it, I like this comparison to Collins. Well, I mean, as well. obviously it's not like a good comparison because that isn't the situation. Right. But I think it's like a similar, like a woman being t- like, 
No one, no one would complain if she got with Laurie. Although something I really loved, and I cannot remember if it's in the book, was Mami being like, absolutely don't marry him. Like, of course. Yeah, you're too similar. Yeah. yeah. I hate when people are like, you're too similar. I think that's like a cop-out bullshit thing to say to someone. But, um, but having the support of someone and the satisfaction, like you just feel how much that must have meant to Jo, this thing that she's been worrying about. And then she can speak to her mum and her mum's just like, yeah, I'm on your side, of course which yeah. Lizzie doesn't have with Mrs. Bennett. And Mr. Bennett might have agreed if, you know, maybe if Mrs. Bennett had been like, don't marry Mr. Collins, Mr. Bennett might have been like, you have to. Like, right. do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like yeah. the parents, uh, you know, but they're not really thinking about Elizabeth. They're, they're thinking about whatever. But um, Mommy is just like, you you got to do you. And like, I back it. It's true. It was good. Should we go and now. see some listener comments? Let's do some listener comments. You guys had a lot to say. Um, a lot of everyone was kind of like on the same like brainwave too yeah. here. Yeah. So a lot of repetitive stuff here, honestly. Um, Amanda Beverly, like right off the bat, was just like Angela Lansbury is a queen, and we are not worthy to breathe the same oxygen as her. Angela Lansbury. I mean, I feel like she was filming for one day. Do you reckon? I thought she. Was I do. She was very strong, and I feel like she was like, "You got me for one day. Like, let's yeah, do this." So like, yeah, just did it. Did her job. I bet yeah. she's she's uh, just a pro, though. Come on, Angela. Yeah, she's like, I, I read it. I read the script once. Yeah, I got it. Let's go. I, I am, I am great Aunt March. So <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I bring my own corset. <laughs> <laughs> um, Lady Mary Landrum. That's that's my nickname for her. Our researcher in residence thought that the actress playing Meg was super darling. I thought she was really cute too, actually. I thought she was an angel. Yeah, she's like a little angel. Yeah, really beautiful. I'm sure I've seen her um, in something. And then also Mary said that she was trying to figure out which parent Maya Hawk looked more like. Uma Thurman. She looks, a, I, there are certain scenes though that I was like, oh, it looks just like Ethan Hawk. But yeah, but I know, who knows like, who he is, so. Oh my God, crazy. Well, Mary does know because um, she was saying that I'm feeling really elderly knowing that she's almost 20 and her dad was one of my college crushes. I'm feeling really elderly too. I mean, Ethan Hawke was like on the like bedroom walls of all of my friends in middle and high school. Weird. Yeah, I know you have no idea who he is. Mm. All right, yeah. Um, Rachel was saying... Um, Basically, just like a roundup of some of the things that she'd missed. So saying Joe's dress for the party was scorched in the back and Meg told her to stay with her back to the wall. And so when she escapes and meets Laurie, he takes her to dance in the hallway. And just I like agree. It's kind of like you miss the way some of the scenes are laid out. And that is something that mm -hmm. I missed. And in that same moment, I really missed um, some of the older guests at the party kind of commenting on how they were expecting Meg to be this like old-fashioned kind of classic beauty and she's all trussed up in mm -hmm. like the latest fashions and I thought that that was one of the ways that Meg is a more rounded character is that she's got this vanity she kind of leans into peer pressure and when you take that away Meg reads flat and I think that was yeah. one of the, the problems of that's this. yeah that's a good point I will say this in the 94 version that scene where um Joe and Laurie dance in the hallway is very, very charming. Mm -hmm. It's an adorable meet cute that first time they meet. So I'm almost glad that they took it out because it does like 
in that 94 version, like I'm kind of devastated that they don't get together because of the way it's played and because of the way it's written and directed. You know, it has nothing to do with the source material. Yeah. Um, so it does read like this ultimate meet cute. And I actually think that this kind of helped in this miniseries sort of you really see Joe and Laurie as friends and that's it. Uh, Rachel also goes on to say, um, I really like the scene in the book where Mr. Lawrence comes and tells Mrs. March in conversation that the piano is in need of someone to play it and nobody would be disturbed by it at a certain time if any of the girls care to play. It's such a kind way to put Beth at ease. And she's right. That conversation would have made uh, some things make more sense to me. Like yeah, every absolutely. scene with Beth and um, Dumbledore. Yeah, we've really done... Uh... Beth a disservice in this adaptation, honestly. Yeah. Um, Jennifer Beale said, I really enjoyed it. There were some flaws, but I like the characters. The characters are coming across as real people. Um, I think the writing for Marmee is particularly well done. After watching the first episode, I was happy enough to pre-order the Blu-ray. So uh, totally. I think that the actresses are solid actresses. I just wanted more of them. And mm-hmm. I think they, I think it's also not only the way they carry themselves, but also the costuming and the cameras, it does feel very real, does feel very like tangible. Um, And I think the writing for this miniseries for Marmy is standout. Like this is Marmy's show. And finally, um, Amanda Beverly also said that she hated crying in front of people. So watch, she was watching it with her mother and she was like trying to hold her tears back. Mm. Which I can totally appreciate. I am that person that cries at a lot of things, but I will never own up to it. Oh, I'm just, I like just... if, if you're with me in the room, like if you're with me, I'm just like, don't look at me. Don't look at me. <laughs> I have this one friend who um, he's he's like my cinema friend. And so we go and watch films together. And I swear the lights come up and he just turns around and looks at me and I'm just sobbing at everything. <laughs> and I went to see Coco with my brothers. and My little brother was just like, what's wrong? What's wrong with you? I was just like, (laughs) I'll do like everything to hide it. Like I'll like cough and (laughs) I'm good at silent crying. Like I'm a very dramatic crier. So I'm very like, I can be quite stoic when I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Oh, good. But then when the, and then the lights come on and then I'm like, oh, I'm not stoic. I'm just like red and disgusting. And there's snot all (laughs) But yeah, this, this, uh, like the last episode, I just cried. I just cried. Yeah, it's a crier. It's definitely a crier. It got some emotion from me. So I have to say in that way, it was definitely successful. <laughs> so now we have news and announcements, but we also have run out of time, you guys. I have to go to the doctor right now. So Hannah, if people want to, you know, hear some of those announcements or read them, really, where should they go? You can find us as always on Instagram and Twitter at Bonnets at Dawn. You can email us and ask Lauren to tell you our news and announcements in person, but by <laughs> email, uh, bonnets at dawn at gmail.com. Or you can join the very busy and exciting and interesting Facebook group by searching Bonnets at Dawn and uh, find us there. Sounds great. All right, guys, thank you for tuning in. And we will talk at you next week with a Austin or Bronte topic, we swear. Promise. Bye. Bye.